0: Okay. Well, if you would join me in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 here today. Mark 6, we're going to look at verses 14 to 29 together today. Mark 6:14 to 29. In our fast-paced society, you can purchase things pretty much instantly. Uh, You think you can take your credit card and you can swipe it, you can tap it, uh, you can buy right now with one little click on Amazon and other places. It's extremely convenient and practical personally. I think it's awesome and I'm grateful for it. Uh, But that dynamic also makes it easier to buy something without necessarily feeling the full weight or cost of your purchase. Shortly after high school... Um, I bought my first car, if memory serves me correct, I think I paid $2,400 for that car. At the time, I was making something like $7 an hour, and I went to the bank, I stood in line, and I took out $2,400 cash. I had an envelope in my hand with 24 crisp $100 bills. And each one of those bills, as I thought about it, took me something like 15 to 20 hours on the job to earn. And here I am, I mean, slowly counting these out, one by one. And let me tell you, I was sure excited about that 87 Buick LeSabre that I was about to purchase, but I felt it. Every single dollar of that purchase. Many people hardly give a passing thought to the cost of of whatever they decide to do with God's voice and with God's word. In Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 29, in many ways, I think is intended to help you count the cost of something. It's intended to help you feel the weight of what you decide to do with the word of God, with the voice of God in your life. There's a price to pay, you might say, and you need to feel the full weight of that. You want to slow down from from our instant, fast-paced society where you can tap and swipe and this and that and slow down and feel the weight because the price is so high. You should weigh the cost of whatever it is that you decide to do with God's voice. Today we're going to look at two price tags. Uh, First, taking up most of our time, we will look at Herod and the price tag for not listening to God's voice. And second, we'll look at John the Baptist and the price tag for being God's voice. And in both scenarios there, there is a high, high price to pay. So we begin with the first price tag. Because the price is so high, you should weigh the cost of not listening to God's voice. What is the price tag for that? If we were to answer that question by looking at Herod's life, it would be this, First, your conscience will be tormented. That's part of the price to pay. And second, your life will spiral downward without God's word. Price to pay number one in that scenario is that your, light, your conscience will be tormented. Look with me at verses 14 and 15 of Mark 6. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. As word continues to spread about the message and miracles of Jesus, the chitter-chatter on street levels is really spreading fast. And people are grappling with Jesus and his identity and who he is. And everyone thinks that in some way, shape, or form, Jesus is a prophet. He's some kind of prophet. But amongst that chitter-chatter, there are many people posing the idea that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's the explanation for Jesus and his message and his miracles and all the miraculous things that he's doing. Well, you note that verse 14 starts this way. It said, King Herod heard of it. He hears of all that's going on. He hears of the chitter chatter. And then verse 16 takes us right back to King Herod again. It says, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. That is the voice of a turbulent, tormented conscience. Herod believes that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Herod's not in a good place. Why? Well, because John the Baptist represented the voice of God in Herod's life, and Herod had just silenced that voice. The verses to follow provide a gruesome flashback to help us make sense of what Herod said. Why is Herod, as soon as all there's this chitter-chatter going on, why is Herod going, oh, it's John? John the Baptist was basically the last Old Testament prophet. And he steps on the scene as the voice of God. And what's he doing? He's crying in the wilderness. The voice of God crying in the wilderness. He's God's herald and he's preaching God's truth. And in his prophetic role, he becomes the voice of God in Herod's life. And John tells Herod, that his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife is sin based on God's word. John tells Herod, Herod, that is not lawful. You are in violation of someone else's law. Not the law of the land, not the law of Galilee, not the law of Rome. You are in violation of God's law. And long story short, Herod beheads John. And now in verse 16, Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. His conscience is tormenting him. And perhaps you know that feeling. You may lay down at night and it's peace and quiet. You have every reason to be able to fall asleep. There's no light. There's no noise. But there is something that's keeping you awake. And it's a noisy conscience. And it's condemning you. And as you lay there, things like this are going through your head. Why did you do that? Or you shouldn't be doing that right now. Why have you been so foolish? you failed. You're guilty. You're condemned. God says you shouldn't do that. You know better. And it could be anything. But I probably don't have to tell you that if you're experiencing a guilty conscience because you know exactly what it is. What's tormenting your conscience? It could be something you said. It could be something you did. It could be something you saw. Or it could be something that you should have done, but you didn't do it. It could relate to your business dealings or your work life and the way that you've conducted yourself on the job. It could relate to your financial choices and your spending. It could relate to your sexual purity. It could relate to your marriage and the state of that. It could have to do with your relationship with another person and perhaps something not being right or there's tension in some relationship and things are not good. It could be something that happened in your life 25 years in the past and yet it's still there like it was yesterday. Being haunted by God's voice is awful. One of the costs of not listening to God's voice is that you can't stop hearing it. Your conscience will be tormented, but that's not all. There's another price to pay here that we see in Herod's life, and that is that your life will spiral downward. When you don't listen to God's voice, and God's word is not the foundation that your life is built on, it's, it's not what's sustaining your life, it's not the grid through which you're making decisions, your life only has one direction to go, and that's down. And your life will spiral downward in a sort of death loop, so to speak. Our kids have toys for their marbles. Maybe you've seen these kinds of toys or played with them yourselves. But with these toys, you can connect these various spirals together and channels, and you hook them all together, and then you drop your marbles in the top and around and around and around they go until they all fall out the bottom. It's simple gravity at work, and that's the picture here. The, the, the price to pay for not listening to God's voice is that your life will do that. It'll just sort of be on this spiral, not going upward, not, not maintaining, but going down. Does that mean you'll commit the worst sins imaginable and that your life will completely fall apart? Well, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I don't think God wants us to underestimate the power and destruction that sin will cause in your life and the impact that it will have on others. And maybe we should just pause to remember that when God speaks and when God opens his mouth, when, he, when he's given us his word, he is speaking to every area of our lives, all the way down to the nitty gritty. He speaks to how you communicate with your spouse in your marriage. He speaks to the integrity with which you conduct your business and do your work. And how you relate to others. He speaks to every idle word that comes out of your mouth. He speaks to the thoughts and intentions of your heart. He speaks to how you manage and resolve conflict, how you treat people, how you relate to your mom, and how you relate to your dad, the way that you manage your time, money, and energy. All of life, God's word speaks to. Are you listening? And when you don't, whether it's a massive area of your life or a small corner, and you decide, yeah, I don't care. God said something, I'm going to do something different. When you don't listen, your your life only has one direction to go, particularly uh, in that realm there with whatever's going on. Herod's life is just one example of what a downward spiral could look like. And I think we can even break his spiral and his downward spiral into the individual loops that make it up and even see a progression from the first loop to the last. This is not going somewhere positive. And so why don't we just look at a few of the loops in this downward spiral in Herod's life. And the first one, if we were to just give it a label, maybe we could call it conflict. Look at verses 17 to 20. Here's the backstory behind Herod's comments. Beginning in verse 17, And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herod is one conflicted dude. John, the voice of God in Herod's life, told him that his adulterous relationship with Herodias was sinful. And yet, Herod, he likes John. Herod was willing to listen to what John was saying, but he's too weak to respond. Herod likes and he wants to listen to the voice of God. He he actually like really wants to keep John around, but he also really likes Herodias. He likes and wants both. He wants the voice of God and he wants his sin. The first loop for Herod is really just this conflict that's going on in his heart, this tension between the word of God and what John is saying and his life and his sin and what's going on. Meanwhile, Herodias doesn't feel any of that tension. She's been nursing a grudge against John for what he said, and she just wants him dead. Well, conflicted in every way now, Herod takes a halfway position. His wife is trying to kill John. She wants him dead. Herod likes the guy, doesn't want him dead, fears him, thinks highly of him. And so Herod takes this halfway position, and he puts John in prison. He's actually protecting John the voice of God in his life. He's protecting John from his ruthless wife and here here it is straddling the fence conflicted. And maybe that's you. You feel conflicted because the truth of the matter is you actually you like God's word. You don't have anything bad to say about the Bible. You have a certain degree of respect and esteem for the word of God. You like God's word, but you also like whatever sin that you've got going on right now. And you're willing to listen to God's voice, but you feel too weak to respond because sin has you in its grip. And you may even be somewhat like a mouse that's been caught by a cat. If you've ever watched a a mouse that a cat's caught, I mean, cats just love to toy with mice. And the mouse is trying to play dead, but the cat's just playing a silly game with that little rodent you may want to escape from your sin, but you feel like you can't. And sin is toying with you. It's batting you back and forth and back and forth. And it's sinking its teeth into you, playing with you. And yet you feel like you can't escape. You feel like you're too weak. You're too powerless. And sin, it's like it has its teeth in you. And that was certainly the case for Herod. You say, well, Herod, you just need to fix your problem and stop doing all this. No, 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 Herod is enslaved. He is bound. He is trapped in his sin. He is, in a sense, powerless against it. If that's you, or if you feel that way, you are on a downward spiral. And don't try to tell yourself otherwise. Unless something changes, it only gets worse. When when your posture towards the word of God is what Herod's was, it only gets worse. And you also need to understand that entertaining God's voice is not enough. That's what Herod's doing. He's entertaining it. You can read your Bible, you can listen to preaching, and simultaneously all you're really doing is entertaining the voice of God. And that is not enough. God does not speak for your entertainment. God's word demands 100% allegiance 100% of the time, and if you merely entertain God's voice, you will be a conflicted person. So that's the first loop that we see in Herod, and I think it's often true in our lives as well. The second loop, though, if we just look at his spiral, I think what we see next is chaos in every realm. Chaos reigns in Herod's life, and it will reign in yours. As soon as you get away from the word of God, or as soon as you say, I'm not going to obey God's word over here, the chaos starts to build and compound. Verses 21 to 27 depict Herod as sick, twisted, rash, and weak. Which is the case really with any life that does not have the stability of the Word of God. We see Herod just how sick and twisty he is. Look at verse 21. We read there, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So it's Herod's birthday. And he's feasting with his inner circle of government leaders, military commanders, probably the financial pockets of Galilee. And this particular occasion presents a spectacular opportunity for Herodias to get what she wants, John's death. So look at verse 22. It says, For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced... She pleased Herod and his guests and the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Herod is one sick and twisted man. His daughter, we read, is dancing for him and for these other men and the text says that she's pleasing them. You know, in general, most scholars don't think that she was up there doing like a folk dance. (laughs) This doesn't seem to be what the Bible's portraying. And By the way, this is either Herod's own biological daughter or this is his stepdaughter who, you start piecing this together, would have also formerly been his niece. She's perhaps in her middle teens and Herod's got no problem with what's going on. In fact, Herod thinks it's great. You realize that a life that is not anchored to the word of God very quickly descends lower and lower and lower? There is no moral compass. The Bible is that compass. And without God's word, without elevating it to its proper position, you realize that you lose your bearings. The human heart cannot be trusted. You should fear what is in your heart and what it will do and how it will think and how it will respond when left unchecked without being anchored and guided by the word of God. We see Herod, he's sick and twisted. We see that he's rash. Look at verses 22 and 25. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. Wow. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod and his friends are eating this up. And perhaps consuming large amounts of alcohol at the same time, and in a state of rash showmanship before all these other men, Herod offers this girl whatever she wants, up, up, up to half of his kingdom. Now, he can't literally give her half of his kingdom. He, he, he's actually accountable to Rome too. But he's just saying, hey, your wish, you name it, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so she runs off and she consults her mother and she comes back saying, This, I want you to give me at once, right here, right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. A life that is not anchored to the Word of God is often a rash life that is full of regrets. You say things that are stupid, you do things that are stupid. And that is Herod just saying and doing the dumbest things. He has no stability. He has has nothing anchoring anchoring him, holding him, guiding him. He's just doing whatever in the moment he thinks he should do. Your life will descend into chaos without the word of God. Sick, twisted, rash. And now we see as well, weak. Look at verses 26 to 27. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. Even though Herod didn't really want to, and he knew it was wrong, he sent the order to lop off John's head. Why? Why? Well, he didn't want to break his oaths, the text says. He didn't want to disappoint his guests. He seems to have some kind of peer pressure going on here. Basically, Herod is a man with no backbone. He is a weak man. You know, this is an extreme request that this girl just made. Herod could have said, wait, 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 hold on a second. No, I can't grant you that request. You just asked for a person's life. No, no. Absolutely not. That's off the table, out of the question, not happening. That's too far. You're going to have to ask for something else. But he doesn't. If you merely entertain God's voice, you realize that you too will be weak and you will be spineless. Sin takes you on a downward spiral and maybe that's where you've been. I mean, this is just one example in Herod's life of a life without the word of God. But maybe what's going on in your life looks a lot the same. Loop one has been conflict, loop two, chaos. And the third loop in Herod's life, why don't we just call this one killing? Because that's exactly what it happens, literally and metaphorically. Though not his original intent, Herod eventually silenced the voice of God in his life by lopping off the head of John, by killing him. You can mute God's voice. Look at verses 27 to 29. And immediately the king sent an executioner with others to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his, John's, disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Herod takes off John's head. He completely silences the voice of God in his life. I think there's a progression there. You, you cannot entertain God's voice in perpetuity. That's what Herod was doing. He takes his halfway position. I'll throw him in prison. I, I'll keep listening to him all day long. I like to listen to him. I hear him. I respect him, but I'm not going to change it. I have no intentions of getting rid of Herodias and acknowledging that that's a problem. You can't just sit there on the fence in perpetuity that way. Eventually, it's almost like you will be forced in some way, shape, or form to need to silence God's voice altogether. The spiral always moves in that direction. And you could do that. You could stop cultivating your personal time with God. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to hear this book. You put your Bible away or you rationalize God's word away when you hear it preached. Or you go to services you hear it preached, but mentally you just kind of check out. Or put up the barriers and walls. Or sometimes I think what happens is, "Ah, maybe I'll just start avoiding church a little bit. You know, God's word, God's people. uh, Start avoiding brothers and sisters in Christ. You stop listening to preaching. You can muzzle the voice of God. And you will eventually have to do that to, to preserve and protect your sin. The voice of God and Herod's life is gone. Or is it? See, the fact of the matter is, is you you can't silence God's voice. That's where this story started. Go back up to verse 16. But when Herod heard about it, he hears all the clamor and the chitter-chatter on the streets about Jesus and what he's doing, what he's preaching, the miracles that he's performing. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. You can hear God's voice through his word, or you can hear it through a guilty conscience. Herod chose the latter. Have you ever had that weird feeling of getting off a boat, or maybe hopping off the treadmill or a roller coaster, and physiologically you're st- you still feel like you're on that thing? You get off a boat and you still feel like you're rocking or bobbing or swaying back and forth when there's no reason for you to feel that anymore. I mean, like you're standing on the ground and you're inside and yet you feel like you're on a boat. And that can happen immediately or even hours later when you lay down in bed at night and you close your eyes. Uh, There's actually a medical name for it. It's called sickness of disembarking. If you ever have the chance to go to a large amusement park and ride roller coasters all day, which if you do have that chance, you should take it, uh, but you should be warned because the ride might not end when you leave the park. If you're like me, I mean, I've had fun doing this on a few different occasions all day long, you know, you're like up and then whoosh and down a loop-de-loop-de-loop and this way and that way and oh, at the end of the day, you're sunburned and tired and your stomach's been everywhere, literally and you finally get home, and if you're like me, you'll go to bed that night, and you will close your eyes, and you will still be on one of those rides, the sickness of disembarking. Your body has been so out of sorts all day, and it's yet to regain its equilibrium and get itself sorted out. That's how it works, in a sense, with your conscience and the word of God. Sure, you can try to silence God's voice. You can try to, I'm leaving that park, but you can't. You can pillow your head at night and you will hear God's voice through your guilty conscience. Just ask Herod. He's still bothered. He's still in a mess after all that happened with John. He was haunted by the voice of John the Baptist long after he beheaded him. You will carry with you into tomorrow what you do today. You will have a guilty conscience. We might call it the sickness of disembarking from the word of God. Because the price is so high, you should weigh the cost of that, the cost of not listening to God's voice. And again, this text is meant to slow down. Okay, get out of your world where you're swiping and you're tapping and you're buying now with one click and just pause and look at your life and just, what are you doing with the word of God? You realize that what you decide to do, it's significant. And because the price is so high, you should weigh the cost of that, of not listening to God's voice. Herod's greatest problem was not his unlawful wife, though she seems to be highly problematic. His greatest problem was not that he just needed to try harder and harder and harder to obey God's voice. I just need to stop this, and I need to stop that, I need to have a moral compass. And No, that that's not Herod's greatest problem. In fact, it... Herod, he's not a child of God. He's not a Christian. Herod, in his position, he's powerless to do that. He is like this mouse caught by a cat and he's just being toyed with with his sin. Do you want to know what Herod's greatest problem was? I think we need to look no further than actually the first two words of our text. All the way back up in verse 14. The text starts this way. King Herod. Herod's greatest problem was that Herod was the king. Actually, he's the Tetrarch of Galilee. But it's not his role there in Galilee that's really the problem. No, Herod is the king of Herod's life. Herod was reigning king of his own life, and he followed the laws of his own heart. He is the king. Back in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read these words, now after John was arrested, and again, it's Herod that did that, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came proclaiming and saying that there is a greater king in town. In fact, there's only one true king, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. He's standing face to face with these people. he said, repent and believe the gospel. This is actually good news, this kingdom that is near. And the only right way to respond to that good news is to repent of your sin and, and trust or believe in that good news. That there is a king, and he has a kingdom, and he is Lord, and he is God, and I was made to bow down before him. Herod needed to step down from his throne and bow down his life before the one true king and that is your need too. Herod could have responded differently here. Herod could have responded by actually listening. John John is saying all kinds of things to Herod. He's listening to him again and again. There's a kingdom and there's a king. And what Herod needed to do was recognize, I think I'm the king. I'm running my own life. I'm a sinner. I've got all kinds of problems. And this other king is holy and pure and good, and I'm not like him. I don't belong in his kingdom. And Herod needed to repent and confess that sin to the one true king and trust that that king would pardon him, that that king would forgive him, that that king would cleanse him. And that ultimately happens through what Jesus the king did and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And maybe that's what you need to do, just like what Herod needed to do. Oh, God, I am guilty. I am super guilty. Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me of all this sin? And I believe this good news of the kingdom, that there is a one true king, and that he is Jesus, and that he is Lord, and that he is God. And here I am, and I'm going to bow down before that king. Here's my life. You know, if you've done that, the king has a law book and it's good. And it serves the best interest of the king's citizens. It promotes joy and peace in the land. And if you haven't been listening to God's voice, you need to repent and elevate God's word back to where it belongs. And again, you don't have to think some massive area of your life. It could be that. It could be almost every realm of your life. Or it could be this little thing over here, no, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that. Or I'd rather do it this way. No, that's not okay. You need to humbly come before the king and say, God, Jesus, you are Lord and king, and your laws are the only one that matter, and I have been out of line. Forgive me. Help me. Give me your grace. And you elevate God's word back to where it belongs in your life. Um, and if you sit here and your conscience has been tormented, you're like, oh yeah, I know that feeling. You know it doesn't have to be? That the gospel itself, in many ways, you might think of it like a soft pillow where a guilty conscience can come and re- lay down and rest. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And most of us, there, there are things we've done, we don't want anybody to know they're shameful, they're, they're awful, they're terrible, they are sin. There's no nice way to describe them. They're disgusting in God's eyes. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will forgive you. He says so in His Word. And if your life has been spiraling downward because the Word of God has not been in in its place, God's Word, when put in its place, brings immense stability, even in the midst of chaos. It brings grace. So put the Word of God back where it belongs in your life, it is a rich treasure. We've looked at one price tag. The price tag, what it costs for not listening to God's voice. And just very briefly, we want to look at a second. Because the price is so high, you should weigh the cost of being God's voice. What is the price tag for that? If we answer that question by looking at John the Baptist and we look at his life, the answer would be that it could cost you everything. John literally lost his head. God sent and commissioned John to be his messenger. Back in chapter 1 of Mark, who is John? He is the voice of God crying out in the wilderness. He's summoning people to repent. He is God's voice. And it's no accident if you just look down At your copy of God's word, it is no accident that Mark sandwiches this story, the story of John the Baptist losing his head right between Jesus sending out the 12 as his mouthpieces and their return. You see that? Verses 7 to 13, Jesus sends out the 12 on mission as his representatives to go be his voice. And then we've got the story we just looked at. And if you look at verse 30, Now they're coming back. He he has sandwiched the, the mission that he sent the apostles on, he sandwiched the John story right in the middle of that. And it's a reminder of the high cost of being God's voice. John spoke and John lost his head. Jesus spoke and was crucified on the cross. The apostles spoke and many of them suffered martyrdom. Being God's voice and beyond that, just being his disciple because every disciple of Jesus is meant to take his word, take his truth into the world. Being God's voice is costly, but the rewards are even greater. I find it interesting that when the 12 returned to Jesus after completing their mission they had no doubt been rejected by some of the villages they went to. Jesus said as much. He said, you will go to some villages and they won't receive you. Shake off the dust of your feet and move on. And others will receive and they will listen and they they will hear your words. They will hear the gospel. They'll experience miracles and all kinds of things. But some people won't. So these men had no doubt been rejected by some of the villages that they went to and tried to preach to. But when they come back and they report to Jesus, that's not what they come back talking about. Verse 30 says that the apostles returned to Jesus and what do they tell him? All that they had done. All that they had taught. It seems like there's a sense of excitement in the text that these men are coming back and they almost can't believe what they've just been a part of. We went to this village and we shared the good news there and people responded and people were healed here and people were healed there. They're going back and they're telling Jesus how great this was. Sure, there's a cost. The price is high, and you should weigh the cost of being God's voice. You really should. John lost his head. Following Jesus can be expensive, but just because it's expensive doesn't mean it's not worth it. It's absolutely worth it, and John's ministry, though, so short. Jesus had immensely wonderful things to say about John and his life. Because the price is so high, Whatever it is you decide to do with God's voice, you should weigh that. You should slow down right now and give serious thought to what you are doing with the word of God. And if it's worth carefully weighing the cost before making a big purchase like a car or a house or something that's going to cost you a lot of money, how much more important it is to weigh the cost of whatever you do with God's word, you can't, <laughs> it is hard to quantify the cost of that. And so let's make sure we elevate God's word to where it belongs and say, Lord, I am listening. And by your grace and with your help, I'm going to strive to obey it. And praise God that a life that is anchored to God's word is a stable life of joy and satisfaction and peace. Would you bow your head with me?